whatever you learn today, please remember this. I am a man with Down syndrome, and my life is worth living. Sadly, across the world, a notion is being sold that that maybe we don't need research concerning Down concerning Down syndrome. Some people say prenatal screens will identify Down syndrome in the womb, and those pregnancies will just be terminated. It's hard for me to sit here and say those words. I completely, I completely understand that that, that the people pushing this particular final solution are saying that that people like me should not exist. That view is deeply prejudiced by an, uh, by an outdated idea of life with, with, of life with Down syndrome. Seriously, I have a great life. I have, I have lectured at universities and spoken to thousands of young people about the value of inclusion in making America great. I have been to the White House twice, and I didn't have to jump the fence either time. <laughs> we are in an unusually powerful source of happiness. A Harvard-based study has discovered that people with Down syndrome, as well as their parents and siblings, are, are happier than society at large. Surely happiness is, is worth something. Finally, we are the, we are the canary in the, eugenics, in the eugenics coal mine. We are giving the world a chance to think about the ethics of choosing which humans get a chance at life. Is there really no place for us in the, the, in the, the, the world? We're in the middle of a series as a church called Life as we look at how the gospel shapes our understanding, our beliefs and our views on issues related to life that we're being confronted with every day. Last week we spoke on race, racism, bigotry, and the beauty of the multifaceted nature of humanity. We oftentimes turn our differences into divisions rather than seeing the creativity of the loving author of life in our difference. See, we are made in the image and likeness of God, the scripture says, the Imago Dei, that every person, though different, every person has inherent dignity, worth, value, because they are made in the image and likeness of God. And God's creativity is seen in our differences. But rather than glorifying God in our difference, 
we bastardize it and use it as leverage to power over each other. The gospel shapes our views of racism and race, of immigration, of how we treat prisoners, of how we do business, of how we treat those who we consider to be disabled. There are many around the world this weekend who are marching for the rights of those who have been disenfranchised, speaking publicly and openly about things like protection from sexual assault, speaking for equal rights when it comes to opportunities in the workplace, speaking for the rights of those who are disabled, and on and on and on. And those issues stem from a belief that there is value in people, that you and I are not simply sacks of chemicals brought about by random chance. Rather, we as people have dignity, worth, and value. And the scriptures scream that at us. Genesis, the the, the first book of the Bible, Genesis opens with that, that we are made, that God in his goodness and his power have God has created us in his image. Male and female, he created them. In the image and likeness of God, he made us. And so, who decides who lives and who dies must be shaped by the gospel. Moreover, whose life we deem worth valuable must be shaped also by the gospel. God has created a beautifully diverse people. My wife tricked me. She said, let's go to the movies and watch Wolverine, Hugh Jackman. I said, I like the X-Men. But it was not Hugh Jackman in the recent X-Men movie that we saw. It was Hugh Jackman in a musical (laughs) called The Greatest Showman. I got hoodwinked. Now I knew what I was going to do. And in that movie that's out now, it's a fictional account of P.T. Barnum of circus fame, Barnum and Bailey Circus. One of the things that uh, they explore in this musical is the manifold beauty of humanity seen in our differences. Now, they don't know it, I don't think, but they're glorifying God as they say in one of the songs, here I am, and I am glorious. Now, this is the bearded lady singing this. And the reason that that's funny to us is because we, every day, divide the world into lives that are worth living and lives that are not. Freak show. Come and see on display the difference. And we think, how sad, but rather we should be thinking how wonderful God is and his creativity to make us so different and unique. But in the midst of that difference, we divide. Psalm 139 shows the master's handiwork. Psalm 139, 13 through 18, we'll put it up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, there are some available on the tables in the back. Psalm 139, 13 through 18 says 
This is the psalmist, the, the author of Psalm 139, speaking as a prayer to God. You formed me in my inward parts. Excuse me, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. TV time out. What was that verb? Knitted. Wove. This is a tapestry. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows them very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Here is the creation speaking to the creator. I am woven together. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That is the language of a master artist at work. You. I and every other person that has ever had breath, whose heart has beaten within their chest, is the intricately woven together masterpiece of a good and loving creator who decides whose life is worth living must be shaped by the gospel. Even if we can't see the value of the life. There are many people whose lives I find to be miserable. Kansas City Chiefs fans would be <laughs> country music fans. I mean, at the list, many people. Many people, I think, I think what a miserable life. But, and there are many people who wrestle with malformations, many who are sick many who, when looking at them, are beyond the point of recognition for some of us. And my, my instincts say that life is not worth living. But who am I to decide? As a parent, it came close to home. It came into my neighborhood, as some would say. When my wife was pregnant with our uh, first daughter, we were going to the doctor, we had a test done, there was uh, symptoms in the ultrasound, and the doctor, uh, who was an excellent doctor, came to us and said, hey, do you want it, you know, there's this, there's this symptom here, it's, it's likely that your child has Down syndrome, do, do you wanna do this test to be sure? Do you wanna do this test, test over here, wouldn't normally do it, do you want to do this test so you can determine if your child has Down syndrome? And we both said, what would be like the point of the test? And our doctor, who is a wonderful doctor, said, if you want to terminate the pregnancy. We said, no, we, we don't need the test. But I remember what was going on in my heart. First, what was going on in my heart is, no, no. It's a valuable life. Who am I to decide? But then what was going into my heart is, oh God, I don't want this. What a burden. Then what was going on in my heart, all mixed up in there is, who am I? I'm completely unequipped. 
it would, maybe it would be more merciful if we just terminated. And all that's going on at the same time. And I remember going to a friend of mine who has uh, adult children now, some of whom are terminally ill with the disease that went through his bloodline. And he said, number one, you're definitely not fit to be a father. You never are until you are. And you don't recognize it till after. Number two, you won't have the strength to do it until you do it. And then you look back and you recognize that Jesus truly does not leave you or forsake you. You see, you don't walk in courageous. You just keep going with courage. You find the strength after you go. Hmm. Who am I to decide who lives and who dies? As a culture, we have shifted from viewing children, from, using, uh, from viewing children, many of us no longer as a blessing but as a burden, no longer from, as a baby but as a fetus. And there's many reasons why as a society we choose culturally to not only allow for but also encourage abortions. One, we say it's a, it's a burden to society. Number two, what if it's deformed? What if it's malformed? What if there's a sickness? What if it's terminal? What if it would be a burden? Moreover, we're, you know, the religious community is not really sure where life begins anyways, where the soul enters the body anyways, so in order to just move on, let's just not worry about it and we'll allow for abortions up until the time of birth. I wanna lean into that a little bit and let me just give you a quick uh, disclaimer. Last week when we talked about race and racism, I revealed to you that I am white. I would now like to reveal to you that I am a man. I have no idea, I have no idea, I have absolutely no idea what it feels like to be a woman. Moreover, I have no idea what it feels like to be afraid of bringing a child into the world. I have no idea, I have absolutely no idea. Is everything in me just to get up here and talk to you about this because I know I'm trampling, because I know many of us in the room have had abortions. I got nothing for you. I cannot bring you peace. I have no comforting words that come from in and of myself. I, I cannot even sympathize. But Jesus can, and he is good. And so I... I just want to, as your pastor, I just want to point you to Jesus through all this. So. We say, well, what if it's a burden? And, and I understand, I understand that there are many families and women especially who, who when they find out they're pregnant, they wonder, how am I going to put food on the table? Maybe I've already got kids. This is another mouth to feed. I'm not going to be able to provide for this child. It's a burden. There are others of us who simply say, yes, you know, that, that that's not good for the child to live in those circumstances. And it is absolutely not good for a child to live in poverty. But I want to lean into this. Who gets to decide if the life is worth living? Moreover, you're a burden. I know you, most of you. <laughs> Why do you think the scriptures consistently say things like bear with one another? See, loving your neighbor as yourself is super easy if we ain't got no problems. 
Loving your neighbor as yourself is extremely sacrificial when we're all a bunch of burdens. And boy, we burden one another day in and day out. You're a burden, and I'm a burden. The idea that it would be a burden misses the reality that we are all sinners in need of God's grace, and we are all burdens. What if the child is deformed? I would simply appeal to Frank, who gave his testimony in our nation's capital, and say, who gets to decide if the life is worth living? Hmm. Moreover, for those of us that are Christians, I know not all of us are, but for those of us that are Christians, the five-year-old who has the the heart, the deformed heart, who can't make it up a flight of stairs, will be considered greater than many of us in the kingdom of God. Well, what was that thing? The first shall be last. And the last shall be first. Greater are these children in the kingdom than the most powerful, physically fit king. Hmm. Who gets to decide who lives and dies must be shaped by the gospel. Finally, the seeming uncertainty as to when the soul enters the body being a reason to allow for the termination of a human life, I, I just... I, I think it's a bad argument. I want to encourage you if, you, if you're coming from that perspective, I want to push on that right now and say, what cost, what price do we pay if we're wrong? What if we're wrong? What if as a society we're wrong? What would the implication be? What would we be complicit in if we're wrong? I believe the scripture does tell us that that God intricately forms people in the womb of their mother and people are made in the image and likeness of God and people have inherent dignity, worth, and value and people, people are given life from God and we are not to mess with that. Killing in this society Killing a human, a person, because they're different, because they're disabled, because they're deformed, or because they cause us discomfort is abhorrent. We don't do that in this culture. We don't kill people because they're different. We don't kill them because they're disabled. We don't euthanize them because they're deformed. We don't kill them because they are a discomfort to us unless they're unborn. The bitter Contradiction is striking. Tell you where I'm at with it. As a follower of Jesus, I stand for life of all people, regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual preference, regardless of where they live, even if where they live is in the womb. Life. And some in desperation will say, I can't give the child a good life. I just want to encourage you. I have no idea what that feels like, but I know Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and do not fear. And moreover, church, now the moment you've all been waiting for, I'm going to yell at some Christians. Moreover, church, 
I don't know what happened, I don't know what went wrong, but in this moment, we are known more for being anti-abortion than pro-life. We are known more for being anti-abortion than pro-life, as if we forgot that life is valuable the minute the kid is born. So are you anti-abortion or are you pro-life? I'm gonna butcher this. I, I have a vague memory of it, and so let me just say that this is borrowed material. The pastor once shared that in his congregation, which was another part of the country, there was a member of the congregation who heard about a lot of these, uh, a lot of teen moms in his community who were going to have abortions because they were not able to, in their minds, take care of the children. They didn't have a place to raise the kids. They, were being ostr- they would have been ostracized from their households, and they would, have to, they would be on the streets. And so this particular person in the congregation liquidated uh, their assets, moved from a great big home to a very small home, I think it was a condo, and bought multiple homes on one street and gave them to those women and said, please raise the children here. And we say, how, how, what do we say? We say, how unique. And that's the problem. We say, how extraordinary. And the fact that that act of sacrifice to take care of children made in the image and likeness of God is extraordinary for the church is part of the problem. Are we pro-life or are we just anti-abortion? To put it another way, if this country uh, made it illegal to have abortion, would we all just kick our heels back and say, no more problems? The Imago Day, it's all taken care of, much less the 16,000 kids that are currently in the system who need a home. Are we anti-abortion or are we pro-life? Tim Keller says this. He's a pastor in New York. What if we took the image of God seriously? What if we took the image of God seriously? First of all, regardless of what the law of the land says, we would know that abortion, except to save the life of a mother, is a violation of the image of God. Second, women who have abortions and the men who help them have abortions would not feel like scum. Because James 3.9 says, you don't disdain, you don't demonize, you don't curse, you offer grace to all. You see, if we believed in the image of God and say abortion is wrong, we wouldn't make women who had abortions feel terrible. And we wouldn't be single issue people. We would be for all of the poor and all of the weak and the marginalized. And we would be a very unusual community, wouldn't we? So let's be that. Knowing that many of us within my church family, many of my friends, sisters in Christ have had abortions, I know that this is so painful. I mean, even just the fact that I'm bringing it up is just, I understand. And I know that It's in many of our families, and it's frustrating, and it's confusing, and it's so painful. And so what I want to do now is we're going to just take a minute, and uh, I'm going to ask Danny to come out, and we're going to share a song and and, and some scripture. Just, I just like that you would remain in your seats quietly and hear what the Lord might be speaking to you now through the lyrics of the song and through his word, which will be up on the screen. 
recognizing that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.